Hi, this is the Live Your Why podcast, and I'm Tammy Hill. I am glad that you're here with me today. I have a special guest with me, Dr. Jason Whiting. He happens to be a colleague of mine at BYU who studies a lot about healthy and unhealthy relationships. I've invited him to come on the podcast today and to talk with us about healthy and unhealthy dating relationships. So let's get started. Jason, welcome. Thank you, Tammy. It's nice to be here. It's so nice to have you here. I'm grateful that you would spend a little time with me today. Sure. So, Jason, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into studying families and dating relationships? Sure. When I was young, I thought that people were just particularly fascinating and sometimes infuriating subjects for thinking about, right? <laughs> As as I started taking things like psychology classes, I thought, wow, you know, we we are such complex and interesting creatures. And I also found myself asking a lot of questions to others about their lives and their relationships. I even remember asking my parents, why did the two of you get together? I thought they both seemed so different, for really? example. Or I'd ask them about myself and my siblings. We all seem to have these various you know, differences. So, so it was just kind of an interesting topic to me. And then as a psychology student, then I ran into this thing called family studies and then family therapy. And I thought that's even more interesting because when you put complicated people in relationships together, it becomes that much more exponentially interesting. So it's just kind of this thing that seems to be really important to all of us. But we're not always that good at figuring out how to navigate and negotiate relationships. So ended up studying those things, becoming a family therapist, becoming a researcher, and here we are. That's cool. So even as a young boy, you were observant of relationships and fascinated by them. Yeah, just interesting stuff that we all all do together. That's so cool. So do you practice therapy now? I do. I have an active private practice. It's a small one because I'm a full-time, I'm a professor and I'm a, the director of the Marriage and Family Therapy Program uh, at BYU. So I do research, I teach, I write, mm-hmm. um, I supervise. And yes, I also see clients every week. And usually those are couples, but sometimes those are individuals mm-hmm. dealing with things as well. So a lot of different things. Wow. You are so busy. So busy doing good things. It's more like an attention deficit thing. I just like bouncing from one thing to another. I would have a hard time doing one thing full-time. So Mm -hmm. for me, it's a good mix. That's great. So Jason, on campus, I know that you work with these wonderful students, as do I, who are trying often to navigate dating relationships for the first time away from home. And often there are situations that, to me, feel a little unhealthy. And so I wanted to talk today about What does a healthy dating relationship look like versus an unhealthy dating relationship? And so I was curious if in your research or in what you observe on campus, do you see trends today that help promote healthy dating? And do you see trends that are promoting unhealthy dating? Yeah, it's a good question. I think the things that promote healthy dating and interacting for young adults are you, you know, we have kind of a, a more aware and and this day and age, there's just a lot of knowledge. There's a lot of discussion of things. There's a lot of things out there online. And that's that's a two-edged sword. It's good in that, you know, we don't have naive youth that don't really understand life and complexity and conflict. They see it all over the place. So they're not just waltzing into a relationship typically. 
unaware of, you know, that they can be tricky. But at the same time, there's also the, the forces online can work against us in some ways. And let me let me expand on that just a little bit. So in terms of healthy interactions, I would say anytime people are interacting in a way that they're talking through things, that they're genuinely face-to-face negotiating, you know, where are we going out to eat or even better talking about feelings if somebody's gotten their feelings hurt or if they have to kind of sort through preferences or speak out for themselves. That's all really good practice for life and for relationships. And I think I think young adults get to do that. But I also think that's where sometimes things like phones and social media get in the way because they can promote a more shallow version of interaction, where if you're just texting if you're just giving a like to somebody's post on Instagram or Facebook, that promotes this more of, like, is that a shallow version of, of communication or just sort of a like-dislike version? Mm-hmm. And what I, and occasionally I see this because I have children who are in the young adult phase. You'll see young adults interacting and, and maybe everybody's on their phone and they deal with that as a way to kind of avoid the awkwardness or to... Avoid this the, the you know the interaction that might be a little bit tricky, and to have that kind of as a quick escape or an easy out is problematic. And I see that in my classes sometimes. Right mm-hmm. when people get stressed, they turn to something that makes them feel better right away, but it doesn't really solve or help the issue at hand. Mm-hmm. So, so that's you know there's these kind of forces that are that are tricky in terms of social media and fear of missing out and comparing yourself with the person that's posting. And those can work against just authentic spending time together relationships. Yes, I 100% agree. I would certainly encourage people to have face-to-face communication and talk about all the things that you were describing. That's such a healthier way to come to know one another. And that kind of leads to my next question. What dating situations are the most ideal for really discerning knowledge of someone and being able to observe character? What things would you recommend that how do you think people should date to really get to know someone? Yeah, it's a great question. And again, it comes back to this idea of authentic interactions, that you're spending time together in ways that help you learn about each other in different circumstances where you have to talk through things, where you have to negotiate, do you want to do this or should we do this? And both people are having a voice and they're speaking up. So for example, going and you know playing a sport together or going on a hike would be preferable to just watching Netflix together, mm-hmm. which you know that there's nothing inherently problematic with that either, but you would want to do a mix of all of those kinds of things. Yeah. And and anything that can help you get to know somebody in their full in their full range of who they are is good too and that includes you know hard things or sometimes stressful things sometimes getting to know them in their relationships with their roommates or with their families right just getting to know somebody at that level where you see them interacting with people in a lot of different capacities is helpful and i would also say getting to know each other as friends is helpful as well as opposed to just kind of rushing into and and shifting into that we're a romantic item um, before getting comfortable as you know just do we are we compatible in general yeah how well do you really know each other and trust right. each other right. so a lot of uh, what i a lot of times will recommend is that students try to find real life activities to incorporate in their dating experiences because you know, marriage is an extension of real life. You're going to have to take care of children, fix a car, unplug a toilet, all those types of things. And 
And so I, I really encourage my students to do what you're saying, but also to incorporate dating environments where they're also having to do together things that you would do in typical everyday life. It's great advice. Yeah, marriage, as you say, is just an extension of life and it's mm-hmm. part of life. And if you're going to do it together, marriage, then you want to just know what the other person is like in life and in a lot of different circumstances. And that includes hard things, stressful things. And, you know, sometimes I see, I'm sure you see this as well, people in your practice where they've kind of rushed into it before really getting that sense of who the other person is. And sometimes they're like, wait a minute, I did not see that side of you. And that's a pretty sinking feeling Mm -hmm. to realize that there's some aspect that, um, that wasn't there. I was just talking to a client not long ago who, who rushed into a relationship because of pregnancy and, and the boyfriend said, well, I guess we better get married then, you know, it was kind of one of those type of, you know, forced things. Mm -hmm. And then sure enough, not long after they both realized we're not sure we even like hanging out together that much. You know, we kind of had this hot and heavy, quick relationship. And I know some of this is advice is kind of as, you know, old, old advice. It's been around for a long time, but with, with good reason, right. It's just Mm -hmm. good to take your time, get to know, who, who you're with and make sure that they are, that you have that, that friendship factor, that compatibility, that, that comfort level of just this person I can be with and they've got my back and I, there's no unpleasant surprises. There's no Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Right. We're just comfortable with each other and we're good with that. I like that. So in your practice and in your research, have you found that there are some clear red flags that we can look for in determining an unhealthy relationship? Yes, there are. And and they kind of clump together in different categories. I'm working on a project right now related to this, where we're trying to tease out kind of these essential healthy things and unhealthy things. And and typically those are on opposite ends of a spectrum, Mm -hmm. as in, I'll give you an example of of a common one, one that we're finding, we call it respect. Sounds really basic, right? But it's surprising how often disrespect or being sort of sarcastic or even cruel shows up in intimate relationships. Hmm. So the couples that are expressing kindness, patience, generosity, those are the kind of things that make up feeling respected in a relationship where where, where both opinions are valued, for example. And the opposite of that is, you know, disrespect or or having mean things said to to them. and, And often I'll ask this question to clients where these things pop up. I will say, if if this happened in one of your friendships, would you continue to be a friend with that person? Mm, I like that question. It's surprising how often people will say or do things in a dating or marriage situation because now they're kind of bonded together. They say things that, that are kind of snide or cruel or impatient or sarcastic that if they said that to a friend, a friend would be like, whoa, okay, you know what? I'm going to give a little space here because mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not what friends do. Right. So that's one of those red flags. Well, I'll mention just a few other key ones. Another dimension is honesty versus dishonesty. Mm -hmm. And some of these you'll see will go together, but can you trust that person? Do they say things that they mean, or are they making, you know, are they they making excuses, which is, which is kind of its own category as well. Do they take responsibility for their own behavior or do they say things like, well, I only called you that because you did this, Mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's a, that's a blaming, excusing mode that is a red flag. And you see it all the time in domestic violence, for example, where 
the excuses are kind of astonishing. Like I wouldn't have hit you if, if you would have, if you would have only had that, you know, if the laundry wasn't right where it was, you wow. knew I wouldn't have like, you know I mean? This, this pattern of excusing one's behavior is, is not a good sign. Mm-hmm. Just a couple others, which go along with these entitlement, which is kind of the self centered mode. We, there's a researcher, I'm sure you've talked about John Gottman, where he's, he's, you know, he's found these things that come back to the disrespect thing, like contempt and criticism. But there's another thing that I think is really interesting that he talks about, which is being open to influence. And in a healthy relationship, both partners will express their opinions, but they'll also hear each other out and they'll say, well, I don't really love that restaurant, but last time we went to the one I wanted to. So that's fine. I'll go to this one. That's, Mm -hmm. that's compromise. And that's being open to influence. It's saying, Oh, I had plans for tomorrow night, but I didn't realize you had these other plans. So let's talk together about how to make that work. An unhealthy relationship, it's more of this entitlement or I don't really care what you have planned. I, I'm not changing my plans because that's, that's clearly the right thing to do in my head. So anyway, and the last one I'll mention, which kind of goes along with some of these others is control, mm-hmm. which which happens through some of these other things like being cruel or pushy or lying where one person feels like they are entitled to tell the other person how to behave, how to think, how to feel. And they do that through a lot of different ways, through pressure, through punishment, through withdrawing. And anytime there's that dynamic of, I have the right to tell you what to do, you've got a problem, right? You know, that's, that's, that's getting to the unhealthy. So there's a lot of stuff there that I kind of just threw out, but those are a few of the key ones. And I will say one other thing, which is that I wrote a short article about these and it was in the ensign about a year ago. So the 2020 October ensign hit talks about these just briefly. So. Oh, that's a great, that's a great resource. And so for my listeners, October, 2020 enzyme, there's an article by Dr. Whiting talking about red flags and unhealthy relationships. I really, I had not thought before as you were talking, I thought, wow, I've never clicked that one as far as being able to have influence. That was interesting. I hadn't woven that into dating relationships before, but certainly that makes sense. Yeah. And I think, again, I, I'm the parent of young adults who are dating and one who's engaged. Uh, so I, I have a lot of discussions with them. I know I'm a little biased, like maybe you are, because I hear these stories a mm-hmm. lot. And so my kids are like, yeah, dad, we know, we know we're <laughs> going to be careful. Yeah. We're thoughtful. But that's one of them, right? You just want to be able to have the kind of relationship where both people have a voice and you won't always get what you want. That's just what a relationship is, right? Mm -hmm. You give up some of your freedom to be in this bond with this other person. Mm -hmm. And that then takes a healthy amount of compromise and negotiation and openness. Right. So good. So good. Have you ever studied or come across information that you could share with us about how to help someone leave an unhealthy relationship. And I know in dating, sometimes, of course, that's going to be a lot easier than if you were married. But let's say you're in a dating relationship that seems really unhealthy and you want to break it off, but you don't want to have violence or or you know, repercussions for choosing to break up with this person. Do you have suggestions on how to break up? That's a great question as well, because it happens all the time. Of course, people are navigating these relationships and sometimes cooling them off and saying, you know what, I think I'd rather just be friends. 
And, and those are good, healthy practices. But it does start to become a problem if one person isn't respecting the other person's setting boundaries or right. saying no. If they're like, you know what, I'm not really feeling this. If the other, and this can you know, go male, female, all mm-hmm. kinds of relationships can, can all do this, which is start to put pressure on and say, oh, but I love you so much and it'll break my heart and you just, we, you need to give me another chance. Those kinds of pressures, which sometimes get glorified in our movies and in our media, mm-hmm. that starts to become a red flag in and of itself because anytime one person saying no is not being respected, that's a problem. So how to get out of that? And you're right. It's a good question. It's a hard question. For one, seeking help can be really important, as in talk to some friends, talk to a trusted advisor, parents, therapist, ecclesiastical leader, get a little bit of perspective on on if you're if this is concerning. And, and of course, from the outside, people can can be have a little bit of a different perspective. You know, the whole love is blind. It's also one of the reasons sometimes people are hesitant to con- confide in someone else because they they get in this, I'm so in love mode and other people don't really understand this person like I do. Mm-hmm. And it's better than it seems. And the other person who's kind of a pressuring, controlling person is really good at mm-hmm. talking somebody else out of their feelings. And this is something I did a project on years ago, which was how somebody in an abusive relationship with more power can convince the other one with less power of their own, that it's their fault. For example, there's this self blame that happens after the other person is blaming them. So it's really confusing and it's hard to be in these circumstances. So anyway, seeking help is one. The other thing I would say is when you say no, and you start to set boundaries to try to be as firm with those boundaries as you can. And I'll tell you why, when, when you've got somebody who's insecure and controlling it's like love to them is more like a drug. It's like this um, heady, I need you to love me and I need to possess you and we need to be together all the time. And it drives me crazy when you look at somebody else or when you wear that shirt or whatever it is. And when that person starts to separate from the controlling person, it's like a withdrawal and it's really hard. And so they will, you know, let's say some ugly thing happens and they split up or they get distanced. That person will say, I'm sorry, it'll never happen again. You can't just not talk to me. They'll start to put a lot of pressure on for any kind of contact. And anytime a person then gives them that contact, says, okay, fine, let's go talk or responds to a text. It's another hit like that, like that drug. Oh, interesting. It's like a gambling hit. And so it's really, it's this rewarding, like, you can't just leave me. And I still do have uh, this connection to, and this almost possession of you. So best to make a clean break and say, I'm sorry, I need some distance and we're just not going to talk or, and I'm not going to respond for a while. Yeah. At all. I, I think that's a, needs to be a firm boundary, block their number, stop following them on social media, block them on social media. Yeah. Have you noticed signs that they're, could be violent behavior in dating relationships. What should people watch for when it comes to violence in a relationship? All of the red flags that I've discussed are mm-hmm. predictors of violence. And what and and sometimes this is confusing too, which is why I frame them as these red flags, because sometimes people don't realize those are abusive typically mm-hmm. as they become more frequent or more more intense. All of them are related to violence. And violence is often just one way to 
control or to assert dominance over. And so I say that because it's usually a little more clear that something is abusive if somebody has gotten physical, if they've grabbed or pushed or slapped or worse, that's a little more clear that we're dealing with an abusive relationship. But it should be, and this is one of the reasons it's good that you're doing these kinds of podcasts and the education you do with the students, is that a relationship doesn't have to be violent to still be abusive or unhealthy. So I would just say all of those red flags are Mm. predictors of physical violence. Um, So there are, violence is just an extension of those kinds of things. Yeah, I I appreciate you saying that. That That is so true. Jason, you know that both of us get to teach at BYU and we have these amazing students that we teach. And I get to teach a lot of classes about marriage and marriage preparation, marriage enhancement, sexuality. If you could come and teach one of my classes, what would you want to tell my students? What would be a message most important that you would want to share? I would say that relationships are worth energy and investment. In other words, we sometimes take them for granted. And hopefully if they're in your class, they're not doing that because they're already there and they're they're learning about intimate relationships. A lot of people don't have the benefit of a class like that. Mm-hmm. But throughout life, it is good to give your relationship some of your best energy to do the things which are kind of the opposite of some of these things that I was talking about, which are to be respectful, be kind, put your spouse as a high priority, spend time with them. Don't just push all these things to, you know, the last priority where your football games are more important or your job is more important. Relationships are worth the time and energy they take to nurture them. And they are a living thing. And so if you nurture them, they're going to thrive. If you take shots at them and damage them, they are going to, uh, you know, they're not going to do very well. They're going to wither. They need, they need that constant nourishment. And so making that a priority in everybody's life is worth doing. Mm, I love that. And not only that, but when you're really nurturing a relationship and it is thriving and growing, like you're saying, then that relationship can then have the energy to extend that generationally, that children that are nurtured in a nurturing home are also going to nurture likely in a nurturing home. So choosing to invest in a relationship not only blesses this relationship, I believe it blesses generations to come. Absolutely. And when you ask people, what what are the most important things in your life? You know, the sort of deathbed discussions They don't say, I wish I would have spent more time watching TikTok videos. Mm. I wish I would have spent more time at work. They say, I'm really grateful for my husband, my wife, my children, my friends. It's that kind of thing that really is long lasting. And when they do research, they've done longitudinal research projects that have gone on for 70 years now. And again, when they talk and they're asking about happiness and they don't find that it's money that makes you happy or even health. They talk, they find relationships are what is most associated with happiness, meaning healthy, thriving, close relationships. Mm. It's worth it's worth the effort. Yeah, that's great advice. Thank you. So, you know, this is called the Live Your Why podcast because I really believe that if a person understands why they're living and what it is they want to become in this experience here on earth and they behave and make choices that line up with that why they can claim so much joy and peace. So Jason, can you share with us your why? Yeah, I think for me, 
it's always been important to do something professionally that is meaningful personally. I, I, I need that energy. I need to have that to drive me to do the things I do. And so for me, I would hope that the things I do in my teaching and writing and researching and clinical work and in my family, that people would come away from those things saying, I've learned a little bit about how to strengthen my own relationships and how to be happier. And I would hope also that people interact with me would say, he is by, by nature of who he is, caring and supportive. And I feel better about myself in, in my relationship with Jason. Like if I can, if people come away from, from me and from the things that I try to do and they feel a little bit of a boost or a little bit of new insights or something like that, I really couldn't ask for more than that, right? That's, that's meaningful. And that to me is why I do what I do. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for sharing this. Thank you for sharing your time. What a busy man you are. And, and your information that you shared is invaluable to those that are listening into this podcast. So thank you, Jason. It's my pleasure and good luck. I mean, even with the things you're doing here with the podcast, that's exactly the kind of thing that I think more people need to hear and benefit from. So you're doing good work. Hey, thanks. That means a lot to me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So you listened in today. One of the topics that I get constantly on campus is wanting to talk about dating relationships. We just heard Dr. Jason Whiting explain so many important facets about identifying healthy versus unhealthy dating relationships. I hope you will listen in, take some notes, re-listen even, and think about the relationships that you're in and determine if they're healthy and safe. If so, move forward. If not, step back. Thanks for tuning in. Go out and live your wife.